Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Fired Up, the hottest sports show in Central Ohio, the show where four sports fans talk sports for the fans. Our topics for this evening are UFC 295, live from the bright lights of New York's James Harden headed to L.A. A college basketball legend passes away. The Las Vegas Raiders clean house. The NFL trade deadline came and went. Who came out on top and who left us scratching our heads? Only a few weeks left in the regular season, predicting who will win Week 11's major games in the college football realm. With that, I give you our assistant chief of our fire brigade, Colton Cal. Thanks, Matt. We're here on a Wednesday evening. Uh, unfortunately, the chief the chief is out this week, but we're happy to be back in the studio. Took a took a couple weeks off. Had a had a vacation in between here and in the end of October, and just took a couple a couple weeks to recharge. So happy to be back in the studio. Try to get you caught up on you know everything we missed here in the in the sports realm. We got a mixed mixed bag of topics between UFC, NBA, the NFL, a little bit of little bit of everything tonight, but. Uh, like Matt mentioned, we're gonna we're gonna start with UFC 295 taking place this weekend in uh, New York City at uh, Madison Square Garden. A couple of title fights on the you know on the slate. Matt, what's your what's your thoughts? Yeah, a cu- couple of title fights for a couple of what looked to be vacant or interim titles. Not really the, the champion fighting, but you know it's still still nice to see a couple belts on the line. Uh, starting it off with the light heavyweight title. That's that title is actually vacant at the moment, mm-hmm. so it's it's not an interim. Uh, the uh the title holder vacated his title decided to, to give it up mm-hmm. so we've got a, a gp uh prajashka who's yeah. 29 3 and 1 he's got 25 knockouts for his career three submissions one decision he's won uh 13 of his last 13 fights mm-hmm. so i mean this guy's been on fire lately mm-hmm. he's going against uh, alex Pereira, who's only eight and two in his young career, six knockouts, two decisions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, on, on paper, this looks to me like you got to go with the, the more experienced fighter here who's just been, you know, lightning hot lately. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, GP Prozaska, mm-hmm. uh, 29 wins, 25 KOs. So, that means this guy's got some heavy hands. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. bringing the fight to you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it sounds like it's going to be, be uh, lightning bolts here, especially since Pereira is kind of a knockout guy, too. If mm-hmm. his eight wins, six of those are knockouts. Mm-hmm. So these guys are going to be throwing some heavy hands. It's going to be an exciting fight. Yeah, absolutely. Going to be going to be interesting. You know, yeah, like you said, obviously, uh, you know, Yuri is the uh, you know seasoned seasoned guy here, but uh, Alex Pereira, he's been fighting for quite a while, just not in the UFC. This is a guy that's uh, you know two division uh, you know title holder actually in kickboxing himself, um, but you know kind of got a late start or a late jump into the UFC. Didn't make his debut in the UFC until he was 33 years old. Um, but, man, this guy has made a meteoric rise up to the top of the ranks, um, you know, in, in just two years. And and fights into his UFC journey, I mean, he's on the verge of, you know, if he can beat, you know, Yuri in this one, he'd actually have his second UFC title in his many, many divisions. So a guy that, yeah, has come in late in the game, but, you know, has made a, a very steep climb to the top of, you know, the top of the mountain here. Uh, but yeah, definitely going to have his, going to have his hands full against, uh, you know, Yuri Prochaska, who obviously comes into this one with a 13, 13 fight win streak, um, who, you know, did hold the belt in this division, uh, before having to vacate it himself because of an injury, but man, what a, what a mess this light heavyweight division has been over the last, you know, year, several months or whatever. Um, so like I mentioned, Prochaska back at UFC 275, you know, took the title. Uh, by submitting Glover Teixeira, 
but then, like I said, had to vacate it because of an injury. Uh, so then uh, Jan Blahovic and Magomed Ankalov, they fought to actually to a draw uh, to, you know, if somebody would have won that fight, they would have taken the vacated title, but they actually fought to a draw. So again, nobody took, took the title then. Um, and then Jamal Hill actually defeated Glover Teixeira again for the title back in January earlier this year. But then he had to vacate the title because of an injury himself. So, you know, it's it's up for grabs again. You know, kind of a big, big mystery that this division is. But, uh, you know, obviously Prochaska got the, got the title before. So this may be my ignorance here, dumb question. Yeah. But what makes it – why is this a, a vacant title as opposed mm -hmm. to the heavyweights and interim? I know John Jones is injured, and that's right. why it's interim. Yeah. Why I, are these other ones vacant for injury? I, yeah, I think uh, it has to do with – I think I think they – if you go a certain – Yeah, a certain amount okay. of time or whatever. It's based on time if you uh, – yeah. Or if you miss so many fights or, you know, whatever, your, you know, your opportunity, they, they may give you like one freebie, if you will, gotcha. where, you know, if you miss a fight, okay, you still got the belt, but then if you miss Double, another one, then it's, then it's like, okay, yeah, you gotta, gotta give it up. And I think it's, it's a lot of discretion. I think UFC, you know, I don't think that there's like a hard set rule. I think it's gotcha. UFC just kind of makes a ruling on it based on what they, what they think. Um, Probably also, yeah, it depends on the extent of the injury and how long of an injury it is and, you know, whatnot. So, um, yeah, I think that that plays into the, the factor of why this, you know, title fight in the light heavyweight has been vacated so many times is because of the, uh, you know, extent of the injuries and just, you know, uh, the guys not being able to come back as soon as they, they would hope them to. So gotcha. we'll see what happens. This is, yeah, it's going to be an exciting one. Um, you know, obviously Alex Pereira, like I said, got – Got some big wins under his belt himself. I mean, he's taken down some some former or current UFC champions, uh, you know, Sean Strickland, Israel Adesanya, and Jan Blahovic. Uh, you know, three guys that are you know have been up there towards the top or you know hold hold titles now that he's you know taken down in his you know short UFC career. So, you know, Prochaska definitely going to have his hands full. But this one should be should be an interesting interesting fight. Obviously, this is not the title fight that we were supposed to get, uh, you know, obviously John Jones and, uh, Stipe Micic were supposed to fight as the, you know, the premier fight of this one. Uh, obviously John Jones dealing with the, dealing with an injury was unable to go. So, you know, instead of, uh, you know, Micic fighting, you know, just somebody or whatever, he, he dropped out and, uh, you know, they threw, threw these two guys in there to, uh, you know, fill the, fill the card. So, we shall see. Um, like Matt mentioned, the other, you know, other title fight or interim title fight, um, you know, on the card is is in the heavyweight decision or heavyweight division. Uh, you know, two hundred five to two sixty five are the guys in this in this division. So you talk about some heavy hitters, some some big boys in this one. This is this is your division. Uh, you got number four Tom Aspinall at thirteen and three going against number two Sergey Pavlovich at eighteen and one. Um, you want to talk about win streaks. Pavlovich hasn't lost a single fight since his debut in the UFC. He won, lost the very first fight in the UFC, hasn't lost since. So the guy's on an 18, 18 fight win streak here coming into this one. So definitely Tom Aspinall is going to, going to have his hands full. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on this fight or what, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, this is going to be another, probably a heavy handed fight. These guys are both knockout guys and, and Popovich 18 wins, 15 of those have come by knockout mm -hmm. and Aspinall's 13 wins. 10 of those have come by knockout. Right. So and this is going to be another one. You're going to see heavy hands, right. fireworks. Uh, it, 
another, you know, if, if you love a good boxing mm-hmm. match, mm-hmm. This, tune in this for is this for one. you. It's yeah. going to be exciting. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think it's going to be interesting if this fight either does go the distance or, you know, gets it past the first round uh, to see which fighter can, can hold up to that because, you know, like you mentioned, Pavlovich got the, got the, uh, you know, knockout hand, you know, Aspen all the same thing. You know, Pavlovich has won his last six fights via a first round knockout. Oh, so wow. he comes out swinging, gets that, you know, gets the knockout early on in the fight. Uh, but it, it is interesting, you know, in, in his UFC, you know, career, obviously this is an interim title fight, so it will be five rounds. Um, Pavlovich has only gone the five round distance once in his UFC day, you know, in his UFC career. So it will be interesting to see if this does go past round one, which fighter will have the stamina, which one will have, you know, the longevity to keep, keep it going. Uh, I think that could be, could be the difference in this Mm -hmm. one. If, if we don't see somebody knocked out in the, in the first round. And and if they both know they're going to have trouble going the distance, that first round is going to be really exciting. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's going to be going after. Right. They're just going to let it all, let it all loose. So it will be, uh, yeah, it'll be some, some fireworks. I'm hoping in that, in that fight, whatnot. So like I said, Saturday, November 11th, Madison square garden, bright lights of New York city. Uh, you know, some, some fireworks that'll happen in those two, two title fights. So, Looking forward to it, and we'll see see what happens over the weekend. All right, well, moving over then to a little bit less violent sport. Um, <laughs> moving over to the hardwood, uh, talk a little NBA basketball. Um, as you all probably heard or know, James Harden out of Philadelphia on his way to the Los Angeles, but not the Lakers, the Clippers he's headed to. Um, he, he gets sent to the Los Angeles Clippers, also with uh, P.J. Tucker, Philippe Petruzev and a first round pick while the Philadelphia 76ers get a bag of players, Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, Kenyon Martin Jr., a 2028 first round pick, a first round pick swap, and two future second round picks as well. So handful of picks, handful of players. Uh, Matt, what's your, what's your thoughts on this trade? Good for Philly. Good for Los Angeles. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, definitely good for Philly. I mean, to get that much for an aging guy mm-hmm. who, I mean, probably isn't going to be in the league much longer mm-hmm. and definitely not producing at the level he's used to producing at. I mean, you've kind of seen that fall off even the last few recent years for him. So great haul for the Clippers. And this is a, a win now move mm-hmm. for or a great haul for the 76ers, a win now move for the Clippers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. if, if this doesn't happen now, they've given up a ton of capital yeah. for future years to not be able to get somebody younger to, mm-hmm. to, to really help this team. So right. it, this is kind of a now or never deal. And I, I don't know that's going to work out for them. They, yeah. they have a bunch of very similar players. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be hard to get that to all gel together and, right. and get the best out of it. It <laughs> sounds great on paper, right. but you got a lot of guys who – dominate the mm-hmm. ball and need the ball to, yeah. to be effective and right. I, I just i don't see how this is going to work yeah we'll be we'll be interesting you know like you mentioned uh you know i think that the, the title window for this los angeles clippers team is is definitely shrinking or getting getting smaller you know harden pairs up with the clippers who already have Kawhi leonard paul george and russell westbrook mm-hmm. on the on the roster um you know so obviously pairing it up with you know three all-stars or former all-stars um it's going to be, yeah, going to be interesting, obviously, Harden himself. Uh, you know, won, won the league MVP back in 2018, you know, has three scoring titles under his under his belt, um, you know, so a guy that can score the ball. Um, did 
did make his debut for the Clippers on Monday, uh, where they actually took took a big L to the New York Knicks. Uh, Harden had a you know a decent outing, uh, seventeen points, six assists, and three rebounds. Uh, but you know his plus minus score when he was on the floor minus eighteen. So Gosh. you know not not the greatest debut is from you know an overall team standpoint. Um, you know, like I said, took a took a big L to the to the New York Knicks, but obviously, no, you know, prior to coming to Los Angeles, he didn't go to training camp, didn't go to any of the off season stuff with Philly, so it really was, you know, kind of a fresh start for James Harden. Um, you know, between not going to Philly and you know somewhat practicing with the team and you know whatever, he's coming to LA where you know he's yeah got to learn new offense, right. new, you know, new stuff or whatever, and didn't have any opportunity to do that in off season or anything like that. So very, you know, kind of just freehanding it and just kind of going with the flow right now until he gets, you know, gets comfortable. Uh, we, you know, we'll see what, what happens, but uh, you know, for, for me, obviously Leonard is the leader of this team or mm-hmm. the guy that, you know, sets the, sets the tone for this team. He's, you know, a two NBA finalist, one, two NBA championships, all the other guys are searching for their first NBA championship, um, which is interesting in itself because the Clippers actually have three of the top six active NBA players in points, you know, total points scored who have never won an NBA (laughs) title. So they have, you know, three of the top six guys that can score the basketball, but have never, you know, had that great opportunity of winning an NBA championship. So, that you know, like you mentioned, on paper it looks great. They got the potential. They got the players that you know can score the ball and you know whatever. But can they make it all gel and make it all work? Right. Um, obviously, Westbrook and Harden, you know, have bounced around from team to team mm-hmm. here as of late. Have had that negative connotation as being labeled as somewhat of a cancer on right. the team. Now you have two of them together. <laughs> I mean, it it it's going to be going to be interesting to see how they navigate and, and not something that's going to happen well, no, at one point I, th- I think those two kind of hated each other right, and that right. kind of why they, they wanted out of oklahoma city at right, one point right. they, they weren't gelling right there was so, kind of a falling out right. there uh, when you know the the oklahoma city thunder you know between kevin durant russell westbrook and and uh, james harden that you know saw everybody go their separate ways yeah. uh you know i think we'll we'll see yeah if there's still some bad blood or if they've you know put that behind them but uh yeah Definitely a, a a good addition for the Clippers. We'll see how it works or how they're able to gel with with all of this. And you know, a lot of these guys for the 76ers are looked at as just kind of throw-in mm-hmm. guys, but right. they're pretty serviceable backups mm-hmm. that, that are gonna kind of deepen the roster there right, for the right. Sixers. I mean, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, and Nick Batum yeah. all can give you valuable minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're reliable right. players in the NBA that can score, play right. defense. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good pickup for the Sixers, even yeah. though I know they're really just there for cap relief next. Mm-hmm. They're all on expiring contracts, right, but right. for this year, for in the now, those guys can help, and I think that they're, they'll be good pickups for Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned, good cap room. Uh, you know, with the move by the 76ers to move Harden out out west, uh, they'll have you know by off season next year they'll have probably somewhere between 50, 50, million, 50 yeah. to sixty five million to make a pursuit to add another, you know, all-star to the team, you know, obviously 76ers are still in win now, win now mode. This right. isn't a trade James Harden away and now we're tanking type deal. I mean, the, this 76ers team still got enough talent on it to compete mm. in the Eastern conference. Um, but then 
on top of that, you know, a, a good team or a great team, and then you have all that money that that's you know that that's you know positive things for a 76ers team that's looking to get over the hump in the playoffs and really you know make a deep deep run in in the playoffs and you know again you talk about elusive you know NBA title Joel Embiid right up there you know with with trying to get his first NBA title you know obviously got his first MVP award now looking to you know add in you know NBA champion to to the list so we'll see what happens but it's uh yeah gonna be gonna be an interesting dynamic and um see see i mean at the same time james harden has to be happy this is where he wanted to go was the team that was at the top of his list of you know teams he wanted to go to so at this point if he isn't happy or this isn't you know gonna work out it's on him at this point so we shall see i i think you know the clippers have have the chemistry have the pieces in play to to make a run but Man, the Western Conference is is a tough conference, so they're gonna have their gonna have their hands full, um, and and you know trying to make this lineup mesh. So, all right, well, continuing with with basketball, but uh, going over to, to college basketball, a little bit uh, sadder news: the great Bob Knight uh, passing away last week at the age of of eighty three. Um, you know, most most known for his uh, college stint at University of Indiana, where he won three national championships and even had a perfect season, which has never been matched since they did it back in the you know back in the seventies. So, um, you know, Matt, what's your what's your thoughts on on Bob Knight? Obviously, a great legend in in college basketball in the basketball realm. Um, you know, passing away, uh, it's it's tough to tough to see. But uh, what what's your thoughts here? Yeah, you know, this guy's gonna go down as one of the greatest of all time. When he when he hung it up, he had the most wins of mm-hmm. an active coach ever mm-hmm. he's now number six on that list we've had a lot of really good coaches here recently right. 902 career wins only 371 losses so he's 70 he won 70 percent of his games mm-hmm. yeah I, i'd take that on my sideline any day right. and that was between coaching army mostly indiana and right. then texas tech there at the end right right um like you said three national titles as a coach even has a national title under his belt as a player okay. for, for yeah. my favorite team in ohio state yeah. there you go he won 1960 yeah. um uh, multiple coach of the year awards mm-hmm. he's been big 10 coach of the year multiple times mm-hmm. and he even helped uh, an olympic gold medal basketball team in 1984 right. he helped coach that so yeah. i mean the, the guy did it all it just he'll go down as an all-time great for sure yeah absolutely um you know obviously a hall of famer hall of fame you know nba hall of fame you know coach uh but i think even more impressive than just the olympic gold medal that was the uh, you know, right before they made the switch where uh, amateurs, you know, they went back to being able to have pro players, you know, play again for the U.S. squad. You know, Bobby Knight was the last, you know, coach for a U.S. squad that had amateur play, you know, college right. players that were winning the Olympic medal. So, so it wasn't the dream. Team right. We're yeah. So about. he, uh, you know, was able to coach a bunch of, you know, college kids to a, to an Olympic gold medal, which, you know, just speaks volumes to, uh, you know, his coaching ability and his ability to, yeah, coach coach the young, the younger generation, um, you know, but it, but it is interesting because during that Olympic team, you know, obviously cuts have to be made, you know, uh, chances, you know, certain players get opportunities, whatever, um, you know, his player, Steve Alford, who was on one of his Indiana national championship teams made the team while he also, you know, while Bob Knight made the cuts of the likes of Charles Barkley and John Stockton from that 1984 team. So very interesting, very interesting. you know, I, I, obviously he's going to be going, you know, go down as the guy that did it his way and, right. you know, his way only. Um, so obviously that, that plays right into that of, you know, 
he wanted his player. He wanted his guy. You know, obviously Charles Barkley, John Stockton turned out to be not only two of the best, you know, college players, but two of the best NBA players mm-hmm. as well. But, you know, stranger, stranger things are happening, but it didn't matter. He still won the gold medal anyway. So, but uh, yeah, no, a guy that, you know, will dearly, dearly be missed, um, you know, in the college basketball, basketball realm. Um, but yeah, a guy that, you know, will forever live on, uh, you know, in, in memory, legendary coach, um, you know, obviously the accolades you could go on for decades talking mm-hmm. about, you know, all the things that he was able to accomplish in his, you know, uh, 40 some years of, of coaching college basketball. So, um, all right, well, we're going to take a, a real quick commercial break. Stick with us. We're going to talk a little football after the break. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host Fired Up. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. All right, and we're back. Like I mentioned, going to talk a little bit of football um, the rest of the way here and uh, talk about a coach that probably won't go down in history here. That's uh, the Las Vegas, Las, former Las Vegas Raiders head coach, Josh McDaniels. Uh, the Raiders decided it was it was time to give him the boot, so they did. Um, along with him, they got rid of their general manager and also shipped out their offensive coordinator this past this past week. Um, and without McDaniel's, the Raiders were able to get get a win with an interim head coach this past this past weekend. So maybe it was the right move, maybe not. I don't know. But anyways, Josh McDaniel's no longer the head coach for for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Matt, what do you what do you think about this move by the Raiders? Good, bad, what what? Yeah, yeah I, I think it's the right move at this time. And you know, it, it was kind of head scratching when McDaniel's got the job. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, because mm-hmm. he had a stint there previously with um the Denver Broncos, the Denver Broncos yeah. that didn't go well either. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this stint right here takes his all time record to twenty and thirty three. Mm-hmm. I mean, just. I, he, he's been a great offensive coordinator. He just hasn't been able to translate that into being a great head coach. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know if it, he's just not gelling with the players mm-hmm. or, or right. he's not able to, if he's got too much on his mind right. that he can't use that offensive mind right. like he needs to or, or what it is, mm-hmm. but he just, he just doesn't seem to, to have it there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think he needs to go back and be an offensive coordinator yeah. somewhere yeah. and, and kind of give, give the dream of being the head coach up. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just not working. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I was, was talking about this the other day. There, there are just some guys that are just destined to be coordinators. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one guy that comes to mind is, is Jim, Jim Schwartz, the, the current defensive coordinator for the Browns, a uh, guy that, you know, has had a couple stints as a head coach in, in the NFL and has not worked out at all, you know, similar circumstances, just not great records as a head coach with, the places that he's been, but everywhere where he's been a defensive coordinator, whether it be the Eagles or, you know, whatnot, he's been a great defensive mind. So yeah, it's just, some guys are just meant to be coordinators. They're great at what they do on one side of the ball. Uh, and, and just, yeah, aren't able to translate that when they get the promotion to be the head coach that controls 
everything about, you know, about the team. So I think, yeah, at this point, obviously McDaniels will, will find another job probably more than likely as an offensive coordinator for, for a team in the NFL. So we'll see, see what happens, but you know, you talk about that offensive mind, uh, that's a big reason, you know, why the Raiders brought him in to, you know, get that, get that offensive mind and, you know, have this Raiders offense really clicking. Well, so far through this year, and again, we're only, you know, about halfway through the season, the Raiders are 31st in total offense, 32nd in rushing yards per game, and now are, are 30th, 30th in points per game at roughly just under 16 points a game. So I think just, yeah, at the end of the day, they were hoping for better things or better things from their offense um, and weren't getting it guy that finishes with a nine and 16 record never made the playoffs in his two, you know, two seasons with, with the Raiders. Um, you know, so just, yeah, it was time to pull the plug. Yeah. You know, the players were starting to get disgruntled a little bit mm. as well. I, I just think there was some bad blood in the locker room. Um, just, yeah, I, I think it was time to, to let it go, start over. First game with him out the door, these guys kind of explode yeah, and right. come to life. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. I, I don't know if that, Right. You know, just for first, I mean, first, first game. Good luck for a new. Granted, or... they did play the lowly New York Giants, so right. maybe it's maybe it's something related to that. But, uh, anyways, the uh, you know, I, I think at the same time, not only not only the offensive woes that mm-hmm. the Raiders have had, but they've also just had some head scratching, embarrassing, if you will, losses in right. that short time that McDaniel's has been the coach. Uh, you know, this year. They blew a 20 to nothing halftime lead to the Arizona Cardinals, whose only win this year is against the Las Vegas Raiders. They lost to the Colts last year. Oh, the Cardinals beat the Cowboys, too. That's right. That's right. Uh, they did. Uh, they lost to the Colts last year in Jeff Saturday's first game as a head coach. Right. The guy had never coached in college, never coached in the NFL. He comes out and gets a, gets a win against the Raiders. Um, last year, Baker Mayfield gets traded to the LA Rams, um, only on the, only on the two, only on the team for two days and comes out and beats the Raiders. (laughs) Um, last year they got shut out by the New Orleans Saints where the offense never crossed the 50 yard line. Um, and then even this year, again, another bad loss. They lost to the bears who started a quarterback who was from division two, an undrafted rookie. They mm-hmm. got beat bad 30 to 12 in that game. Uh, just, yeah, a lot of just bad things that, yeah, that you just don't want on your resume as a head coach, uh, especially when you're trying to, you know, get into the game or you're trying to, you know, make a, make a name for yourself as a head coach. Obviously the stint in Denver didn't go very well for McDaniels. Not much success here in, in Las Vegas. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how the Raiders respond the rest of the, the rest of the season. Um, but well, with the way the Patriots have been playing, maybe they call them back to, right, to get uh, that offense working yeah, over there. Absolutely. Um, you know, they definitely could, could use his services if he can, you know, like I said, if he's just focused on the offense, I think this guy is a heck of a heck yeah. of an offensive coordinator. Uh, it's just, yeah. When he has to take on that extra responsibility of being the guy that's in charge, it just, yeah, all seems to, to slip away. So, yeah. We'll see how the Raiders the rest of their season turns out. Um, obviously, they got some got some work to do if they want to try to make a push 
for the playoffs. But uh, you know, it's going to be going to be interesting. They're obviously in a tough division with the with the Chiefs and the Chargers. The Broncos are probably about you know same you know talent level as the Raiders. So we'll see see how it plays out. But definitely got their got their work cut out for them. So all right, well sticking with sticking with the NFL here. Um, talking about some trades or some teams that, you know, made some, made some moves at the NFL trade deadline. going to pick our, pick our winners and losers from, from the NFL trade deadline that, that happened uh, a week or so ago. Um, we'll start, we'll start in the winner category, maybe a team or teams or players that did well, or, you know, came out on top after the trade deadline came and went, uh, for me, I'll, I'll get it started. I think it's the San Francisco 49ers as my, 100%. as my winner. Um, you know, this is a team that's currently, you know, started out five and zero and is on a three game losing streak right now. They are undefeated in their, in their division, but the Seahawks who, you know, I didn't say at the beginning of the season, they would be competing in this division are they're tied right now as you know, with an overall record of five and three in the, in the division. Um, but for me, what stands out for the 49ers, I think it's, it's a team, like I mentioned, three game losing streak probably not a team that even had to make a move. I mean, this, mm-hmm. is, a, this is a team that's that's got players at stacked. all positions yep. stacked on both sides of the defense. They didn't even probably have to make a move, but they saw, hey, we're on a three-game losing streak, man. We can make, make a move. Change it up a little we need, bit. We need yeah. to do something here. So they weren't afraid. They pulled the trigger. They trade, you know, traded for the Washington Commanders, you know, defensive end Chase Young, only gave up a third-round pick for him. Uh, man a defense that was already nasty mm-hmm. just got nastier here. Right. Um, you know, you, you pair Chase Young with the other defensive end and Nick Bosa. You got Javen Hargrave, the defensive tackle on the in the middle. The 49ers picked up Randy Gregory earlier this, yeah. you know, in October. They also have Eric Armstead, another defensive tackle there to, you know, uh, be the be the anchor in the middle. Uh, man, this, this is a nasty 49ers linebackers defense. just fly around. Right, like, right. This is, this is going to be, yeah, this could be tough defense. Um, but I think this move not only sets this 49ers team up for success, you know, right now, but they're also thinking ahead, you know, let's get to the playoffs. We're going to make the playoffs, but we're going to face some tough quarterbacks in the playoffs between their own division, Seattle's, you know, Geno Smith, who can, you know, move around in the pocket, can make make some big throws. You got Dallas's Dak Prescott in the NFC. You got Detroit's Jared Goff who can sling the pigskin. And then you also got Jalen Hurts who yeah. killed him last year in the in the playoffs. So this move to me was not only a let's fix things that are going wrong now, but something to look ahead mm-hmm. forward to with some of those big quarterbacks that they're going to have to potentially face in the right. NFC playoffs. Well, and, to, and to me, that pickup, they're also my winner, by the way. Yeah. But that, that pickup was a no-brainer. They, they gave up what turns out to be a compensatory third-round right. pick. Right. And if Young walks in the offseason, mm-hmm. they actually get a better draft pick out of it right. because of his status. Right. So, I mean – they get they get really, they gave up nothing. <laughs> I, I don't I don't understand how nobody else in the NFL wanted to wanted to give up that give an opportunity. Yeah, to, right. to be right there for Chase Young. I mean, shoot, I would have thrown a second hit that way. Right, he's got right. six sacks in the season. Mm-hmm. He's he's coming back to life. Right. Um, 
you know, I actually picked two winners and I have one loser. Okay. They kind of all go hand in the hand. Yeah, so yeah. like I said, San Francisco was the one. Yeah. And I also actually like what the Chicago Bears did okay. in adding uh, Young's uh, a teammate there in Montez Sweat. Yeah. They gave up a second round pick, but they also signed long term mm -hmm. after that. So they got him in the door. Mm -hmm. They could have maybe got picked him up as a free agent in the offseason, but they weren't going to wait. They, yeah. they, they they had their guy. They knew they wanted him. Mm -hmm. They got him in the door and they signed him. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a trade that, that's worth a second round pick if mm. he's going to be around for yeah. a while. Right. So, you know, I had both those guys coming from the commanders and that goes right into my loser. Yeah. Hands down, it's got to be the commanders. Yeah. They were a playoff team a year ago and they've just thrown in the towel. Mm -hmm. They dealt both their defensive ends like we just discussed and, you know, really got little out of them. Right. So they're, they're, it's not like they're getting a ton of draft capital mm -hmm. to, to make this team better in the right. future. They, they've just kind of gave away, I mean, Two, I think they're both first round draft picks mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. Gave them away for essentially nothing. Yeah. And I, I don't know how they're going to get better from there. I mean, yeah. I know they got some cap room and all that, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it's going to be tough sledding there for the commanders. Yeah. I think I have to feel, you know, not only the commanders as a team, but probably have to feel even worse for Ron Rivera, their head mm -hmm. coach. This probably is a season that he came into probably on the hot seat, probably, right. you know, if he's not able to get things turned around, probably on his way out the door. And it seems like the franchise is somewhat helping that by yeah. trading away their best players on a defense that, again, their offense is dysfunctional, but their defense has been a solid unit the last, you know, several seasons. But then you trade away, you know, two of your best defensive players. You're pretty much throwing in the towel at this, at this point and, you know, probably giving a, a, a pretty good sign to your head coach that, yeah, You're probably you not going to make yeah. it, you know, not going to be back as well. But, uh, you know, for me, my big loser, you know, you talk about the Chicago Bears being your winner. To me, I think they're the loser in this one. Um, this is a team that is two and seven. They're 0-2 in the NFC North, dead last in their division, almost dead last in the NFL. Did they need to go out and trade for defensive guy, give up a second round pick to get a defensive guy? I don't know. I, I, it, it would be different if this team was seven and two and they're mm -hmm. competing. They're two and seven, and, and there's no signs of life with this team because their offense is a dysfunctional mess. They don't have any receivers. You know, when when Justin Fields is out there, he he looks good, but he can't stay healthy right now. Uh, they have no offensive line that can protect him, anyways. I just think giving up a second round pick to get a guy. Again, I do like the sense that they were able to sign him to an extension, mm -hmm. but I think you probably could have gotten this guy in free agency. You could have waited. Right. Who knows if the if somebody else picks him up? Who knows if he's going to sign with that with that team? You probably could have you know taken your chances and gotten him in the off season and not given up a second round pick. Right. A, a team that needs picks at this point. Could you have drafted? a defensive pass rusher mm. with that second round pick. I don't know. We'll see how it how it plays out, but yeah, I just think they gave up, you know, that second round pick, a valuable second round pick and, uh, to a team that's they're still in rebuild mode. Right. They're not they're not competing and even with this, you know, Montez Sweat, this doesn't put them over the hump and they're right. gonna, now all of a sudden start winning, you know, ball games or whatever. It, I, I think had they not been able to re-sign him, I'd be a lot, right. lot more sour on right, it. But I, right. that, that to me made the big difference mm -hmm. because now he's he, he's in their future plan, right? And he's worth he's worth a second round type of guy there, so right? That, right. That, 
That's why I went the other way with Let's it. Let's just I see what you're saying for sure. Right. To him, to me, I just hope that this works out because if we all remember at last year's NFL trade deadline, the Bears traded away another second round pick to get the Steelers wide receiver Chase Claypool. We all know how that played out. It was a complete disaster. Yep. The guy never really even played for the Bears earlier before the trade deadline even happened. They shipped Claypool out, turned their second round pick that they gave up and got a seventh round pick from the Dolphins in exchange. So you gave up a second round pick right. to get a seventh round pick in return. <laughs> not not a good start for, yeah. for the front office there in Chicago. Let's hope Montez sweats a little bit, you know, a little bit better. Or, you know, the situation plays out much better for the Bears. Um, you know, I think it is a, a good move, maybe a step in the right direction. The Bears do are, are dead last in the league with only 10 sacks, mm-hmm. you know, total as, as a team. So, you know, you bring in a guy that is pretty consistent when it comes to, you know, getting getting sacks and getting after the quarterback. I just think they they maybe gave up a little bit too much to to get him on a team that's still in rebuild right. rebuild mode. But we'll see. Um we'll see how it plays out. But I think for for me, this whole trade deadline, I mean, it was pretty kind of quiet. Dud, yeah. yeah, pretty quiet. Um, you know, and I was reading something where NFL teams have actually started to push the NFL to actually push the trade deadline to later in the season. Um, Why even have a deadline? Right. Let it go. Let them trade whenever they want to. Right. Um, So, you know, they, they have actually, it used to be like a week earlier or maybe a couple of weeks earlier than what it, what it is now. So they have made a change in the sense that they have pushed it back a little bit later than what it used to be. Um, But NFL teams want to see it go even later than that. um, Just because this NFL season as a whole we don't know who's who's good. Right. There there are a ton of teams that are five and three, six and two, four and four. Yep. There, there's a lot of teams that at this point still think Jockey that for position. you know really think that they are contenders. Week in and week out, they it, it seems like it's a roller coaster ride of yeah who the true contenders are and who are the pretenders. I mean, you got the Bengals, the worst team in their division, right? And they're in the playoffs if it were to start yeah. today, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and so. Yeah, I just think with I think that's the reason that they the NFL is pushing or you know some of the teams are pushing to push the trade deadline back mm-hmm. further is because yeah, we're at the halfway point where you know eight games, nine games in or whatever, but like I said, there's so many teams that are sitting at about 500. Right. They still think that they have a chance to make a push for yeah. the playoffs. You push this thing into week 10 or week 11, you got three more games under your belt. You probably have at that point a pretty good indication mm-hmm. Yeah, we're probably not making the playoffs. Um, heck, you got the Cardinals with only two wins, and right. they're they're bringing back their right. franchise quarterback who's right. been injured yeah. for a year and a half. Right. They they think <laughs> that they still have a chance. We'll 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 see. They may hurt themselves in more ways than one right. because they may win a few games and then kick themselves out of you know getting the top pick. So right. you know we'll, we'll see we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, I think just I, I think that will be a change that comes whether it's next season, next coming seasons. I, I look for the NFL to push, you know, push the trade deadline back, not only to create some excitement and create more, you know, energy of players getting traded or, you know, quite a few players getting traded, but just, yeah, giving teams more opportunity to really assess mm-hmm. where they're at. You know, do we do a yard sale and get rid of our team or do we go out there and get some of these guys that are available because we are really going to make a, make a push right, here. Right. So. Anyways, moving on then from the NFL back to college football. Um, got a got got our five games of the week here. Some big big games, you know, coming up this weekend. 
Um, so we'll we'll get our, get our analysis in here, give you our our picks, uh, get things started. Noon game on Saturday, big game. You know, Big Ten powerhouses. Number three, Michigan, nine and zero, going on the road to number ten, Penn State, at eight and one. Like I mentioned, noon game over on Fox. Michigan favored by four and a half points in this one. Matt, what's your, what's your thoughts on this matchup? Four and a half points? I honestly don't think it's enough. Mm. I, I know this Penn State team's good. Both these teams are scoring 40 points per game. Right. But, you know, I got to look at what Penn State was able to do when they played against the best team they played on their schedule, mm. Ohio State. Mm. Penn State couldn't move the football. <laughs> their their <laughs> offense just it, it looked lackluster. Mm. They, they, they can't pass it down the field. They, they run the ball well. But, mm-hmm. you know, what Michigan's really good at? Stopping the run. So, you know, I I think the results of that Ohio State game are going to be a lot of the same of this game. Mm -hmm. I think Michigan also dominates on the defensive side, and and Penn State doesn't move the ball well in this Mm -hmm. game either. I expect similar results to the OSU game. I'm going by Michigan more than the four and a half. All right. Yeah, I got to agree with you. Obviously, for me, as a Michigan fan, this is going to be our first big test. You know, everybody's talked about it. Our schedule has not been very good. The team's... But again, you can only play the teams that are on your schedule. These schedules are set years in advance. Nobody knows who's going to be good, who's not going to be good. It, you know, it is what it is. Obviously, yeah, I just Michigan, saw Ohio State's schedule for next year. It's a joke. So, right, I mean. right. So it's it's one of those things. It it just how it plays out. But yep. it would be different if Michigan was playing this cupcake schedule and they were winning by close margins. Right. They're blowing. But out. they're blowing out the teams that they're supposed to be blowing out. They go on the road to Penn State. Again, going to be a real big test for them. Big-time opponent, top-10 opponent. But I just think there's too much clicking for this Wolverines team right now. History is not on the side of Penn State. Under you know James Franklin in his coaching career, he's 2-20 against top-10 teams. 2-15 at just Penn State. And he's also 1-10 against top-5 opponents. Yeah. Definitely history is not, you know, on his side, not, you know, not a good matchup here for Penn State. I I just think if they can't get that ground game going and establish the run, they put too much pressure on Drew Aller to to make a play. Not that Drew Aller is not capable of it. I just don't know that Penn State has the big time receivers to make the big plays in the passing game. And if I'm Penn State, I'm asking, why is the Big Ten making this a noon game? Because Mm -hmm. That in a whiteout atmosphere right. could be a completely different oh, yeah, result. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's a whole different I'm animal. Just about to mention that that yeah, if I'm James Franklin, if I'm Penn State, I'm protesting, I'm jumping <laughs> right. up and down on the table, whatever, to say, what the heck? Why are we not getting this as a night game yeah. here, fellas? This is you know another our probably our biggest game on the schedule, right. and we're playing a noon a noon game. You know, yeah, I, I, if if this was a nighttime game in a whiteout. I might have some more reservations yeah, about, you know, picking Michigan or, you know, maybe a little bit tighter ball game, mm-hmm. but noon game, a little bit less hostile, you know, atmosphere. Yep. I, I like the Wolverines to get it done. I think they, they cover that spread by, by a big margin. So and I, I will say if that result happens and then we'll talk about the Georgia Ole Miss game later, I think we're going to see a, a, a shakeup in, in yeah. the college bowl standings mm-hmm. after this week too, because mm-hmm. Ohio state's number one right now based on, they're a couple of big resume wins this year. So, far. so I think this week's going to move things around a lot. Cause I think the resumes then become a lot closer. Mm-hmm, right. I think I could see Ohio state going from first to third after this week. So yeah, we will, we will see how it, how it plays out. Obviously Michigan has to take care of business and win right. the game first to start it off. But uh, yeah, we could see some, some changing around, you know, based on some of the results that happened this weekend. 
Well, uh, moving over to the SEC then, we got a uh, top 15 matchup between the Tennessee, number 13 Tennessee Volunteers at 7-2, and two, taking on the Missouri Tigers at number 14, also 7-2. and two. 3.30 game over on CBS. Man, this is a close one. Mm-hmm. Vegas has Tennessee favored by just a single point in this yeah. game. Matt, who do you like in this kind of toss-up toss up game? Yeah, I think the spread's right. This is a tough one to call, mm-hmm. just a one-point game. But, you know, Tennessee's they're scoring two more points per game. They're giving up six less per game than Missouri. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to come down to the balance of Tennessee, mm-hmm. though. That they're doing about 250 passing, about 230 rushing yeah. so i mean they're very well balanced yeah. they're they can do it you know through the air on the ground so i think they can grind it out or do it however they need to do to, to get the win i do think this game is going to be a close one i think tennessee has just enough to get it done yeah well i'll uh i'll i'll go against you in this right. one I, I think the tigers get it done but this is going to be a close game and i think two two big keys from for both teams in this one which team can get their quarterback in a rhythm? Mm-hmm. I think if if Tennessee can get Joe Milton some quick, easy throws, get him in a rhythm, get you know those jitters out of him, I think Tennessee could could blow the blow the doors off mm-hmm. of Missouri. But if you look on the other you know the other the other end, if if Missouri can get Brady Cook comfortable in a rhythm, get that passing game going for Missouri, I think that they could blow the doors off of, off of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Another key, you know, for me, if there's a chink in the uh, armor of Tennessee it's their passing defense now it is better than it has been in years past but they you know gave up almost they gave up over 70 percent completion and almost 400 passing yards to a Mm -hmm. Kentucky team a couple of weeks ago this Kentucky team by far nowhere close to being a a pass heavy or a pass attack offense Missouri on paper has a better you know passing game or you know bigger bigger players more opportunities there so if Missouri can can exploit that you know that weakness in the Tennessee defense that that's going to spell good things for this Missouri team now you look at it on the flip side Missouri's defense their their rushing defense is is where they're the best at on their defense mm-hmm. and if you have to look at Tennessee this is not the pass heavy you know 400 passing yards per game that we saw last year with with Hendon Hooker uh, like you mentioned, more of a balanced team, right. but they do a lot of running by committee. They have three or four running backs that they can throw in there that can get you 100 yards a game. So it, it doesn't play well to Missouri's strength because, like I mentioned, their rush defense is one of the best, not only in the SEC, but in the country. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be which team can exploit each other's weakness yeah. and which can get their quarterback comfortable in a rhythm early on in the game. I think that's, that's you know, going to come – that's who's going to win this game. I like Missouri at home to be able to to be able to do that. But this is going to be a, I think, a back and forth tight battle all yeah. the way to the to the end. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, then heading out heading out west, uh, we got number eighteen Utah seven and two taking on the undefeated Huskies. Washington at number five nine and zero. Oh. Another three thirty game over on Fox. Uh, Vegas heavily favors the Washington Huskies. Got them by nine and a half in this one. Um, I, I, I got to agree with Vegas. I, I, I think Utah's defense, they're good, but it's not as elite as it has been. Right. This is a Washington offense that nobody has been able to figure out how to slow them down. I don't think Utah's defense is going to figure it out. They've been playing with a backup, a third string, a fourth string. Heck, even maybe their punter's been in there at QB <laughs> at this point. 
I, I just don't think the offensive firepower is going to be there for this Utah team. I like Washington to to get it done. They will give up points because that's just what their defense does, but Utah is not going to be able to match them point for point right. in this game. I like the Huskies to, to get it done. Yeah, I agree, and I, I don't know that Utah's defense isn't as good as they have been in years past. I think it's, they're on the field a whole lot more in right. the games because yeah. their offense just can't can't mm-hmm. do anything. Mm-hmm. And offense isn't going to be able to keep up with it. It's going to be a lot like the USC game and the Oregon game where mm-hmm. they, they just they can't keep up on the offensive side. The yeah. defense does what they can, right. but for so long, yeah. they, they, they can't do it all game. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think Washington – wins and nine and a half is probably a a pretty good point there on the spread yeah absolutely well continuing to move all over the country we're heading down south uh we got the miami hurricanes at six and three taking on the currently number four ranked florida state seminoles at nine and oh another 330 game over on abc florida state likes the seminoles by two touchdowns 14 points in this one matt what's your thoughts on this game yeah you know i i think uh it's kind of a little high spread there. I think Miami came into the season with high expectations, mm-hmm. but they haven't quite lived up to it, losing three of their last five. Yep. They did start the season 4-0, <laughs> and though. Uh, Florida State's scoring seven more points per game. They're giving up three less points per game. But, you know, Miami really needs this to kind of salvage their season. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they started out hot, but then they, they just kind of fell apart. Right. So, you know, I, I think their coach needs this. The team needs – they're, they're going to be playing hard, you know, kind of a backyard brawl, Miami, Florida State. Mm-hmm. So that always makes for an interesting rivalry, right, fun right. contest that lots, way. Lots of recruiting battles on the, you know, recruits in the yeah. stadium for this one that could go, you know, either way depending on how the game turns yep. out. So, I, I mean, all that said, it sounds like I'm going Miami, but I'm not. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still going Florida State, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's closer than that 15 and a half point spread. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think this one, um, you know, it's going to be – it's going to come down to, for Miami – can they take care of the football uh, in those losses, you know, that they've had, they're just giving the ball away, you know, willy nilly. They can hold on to the, I mean, even with all the turnover problems that they've had, this is still an offense that's averaging 32 points a game mm-hmm. and, and, and averaging almost seven yards a play. Um, so you would think, you know, if they didn't have all those turnover issues, we may be talking this Miami team may be one of the best offensive units in the country, right. but they turn the ball over at such a high rate they lose so many opportunities to, to get get points and put points on the board. If they can limit those turnovers, they can keep it close in this in this game against Florida State because Miami's defense, I, I think, is probably their advantage advantage Hurricanes when it comes to the defense in this game. Um, but can the offense limit the turnovers? Limit the you know stupid mistakes in this one? Right. I, I like the Seminoles to get it done. Something to look out for two of Florida State's top wide receivers dealing with injuries may not play in this game. Miami's run run defense does really well at, at stop run. So you start making Florida State one-dimensional and they're down a couple of their top receivers. Yeah. I still like Florida State to win, yeah. but I think it's a lot closer game. You know, I think Florida State will have to sweat this one out. Right. Um, so, I, I, you know, that's something to look up to, up to game time to see if those guys are able to, you know, play through their injury and actually play. Uh, but I still like the Florida State Seminoles, but close game. I don't think that they cover that that two-touchdown right. spread. All right, last game on the slate, staying in the south, a top-10 battle between Ole Miss, number nine, at 8-1, and one, taking on the Georgia Bulldogs at 9-0, and oh, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time over on ESPN. Hey, 
the Vegas Vegas though likes this Georgia Bulldogs team to win by ten and a half in this mm-hmm. one. Top, top ten matchup in Georgia's house. Vegas still likes the Bulldogs here. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think Vegas is probably about right, but I think this game's going to come down to ball control and who, who can extend the game with mm. third down conversions. Yeah. You know, Old Miss and Georgia they, they rush for about the same amount of yards mm. per game, so I, I think they're both equally good on the ground here. But I, I, it's the third down conversions where Ole Miss is abysmal this year. They're only completing 36% of their third down mm, conversions, mm, mm. while Georgia completes 55% oh. of the third down conversions. Right. Those those extra plays and, oh, and yeah. extra drives right. are going to make Wears all the difference defense. in this right. game. And yeah. I, I think it's going to be enough for Georgia to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is going to be a, a good game. I mean, obviously this is not the dominant Georgia team that we're used to. I mean, obviously they're nine and zero. they haven't lost in two years or whatever it is, but this is the Georgia team that we're used to seeing beating teams by 20 and 30 points throughout the regular season. They've had some close calls even last week against a ranked opponent in Missouri. They got the win, but it wasn't by a big, you know, a big margin. Right. Uh, and they, and they had to make some late stops in the game to even put the game away. So M- Missouri battled them till, till the end. Old Miss on paper has the ability to pull off the upset in this one. It's just a matter of which Old Miss team shows up in yep. this game. Uh, because we we talked about, you know, when Old Miss went on the road to Alabama, we thought Old Miss was going to pull off the upset there. And the offense only managed 10 points and, you know, laid a goose egg and looked, you know, terrible in that game. Mm-hmm. Here we go again. Top 10 matchup again. On paper, Ole Miss has the opportunity to beat this Georgia team, but what are they going to do? You know, on the road against a you know a top team, uh, Lane Kiffin in his you know tenure uh, you know at Ole Miss, he's only one in five against top ten teams. So again, history not on his side in this right. one. I, I like the Bulldogs, but I don't know that ten and a half to me seems a little bit little bit high. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a close game just because Georgia has not been able to really put games away and, and right. blow teams out. I think Ole Miss can keep this game close, but I just, again, don't think the right Ole Miss team is going to show up in, in this game. I think Georgia pulls off, you know, a late win in this one, uh, stays stays undefeated, and like you mentioned, may shake up the playoff rankings yeah. as a result of, you know, these top 10 battles uh, behind, you know, Ohio State, who's currently, you know, number, number one. But we shall see what happens um yeah exciting yeah still exciting games being played this late in the season in college football uh still you know a few weeks left in the regular season still a lot to play for in in a lot of these conferences so we'll see how it how it shakes up over the next couple of weeks all right well that's our show for tonight we uh thanks for listening to fired up with your host colton cow matt cordes we uh hope you enjoyed our episode this week and, you know, if you want to hear other topics for future episodes or, you know, you just got a burning sports question you want to hear us talk about on the show, feel free to reach out to us on our different social medias. We do have an Instagram where you can find us at FiredUp underscore podcast, or you can find us over on Facebook if you search for FiredUp comma sports podcast. And as always, you can head over to our website at www.firedup1.pod.com where you can check out all of our past episodes and you can find just a little bit of information about the show. And as always, you can find this episode and all of our past episodes on pretty much any podcast platform you can think of. Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, all the big players in the podcast game, you can find our find our show. So appreciate y'all listening. And as always, stay, stay fired, fired up. up.